Sarcoma Insight. Sarcoma Insight, this is our destination for education for both benign and malignant tumors. Welcome everyone to this episode of Sarcoma Insight. Uh, today, Dr. Brinkman and I will be discussing mixofibrosarcomas. Uh, before we get into that, uh, Elise, our previous episode was on myxomas, which will remind everyone are myxoid lesions that are benign. And sort of a, somewhere along the spectrum of these are the tumor we'll be discussing today. Before we go any further, what have we been up to, Elise? Uh, any good news to share with uh, the listeners? Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll share. I, uh, I got engaged recently. <laughs> But yeah, so very excited about that. Um, he's a wonderful guy and now just have a lot of planning to do. But yeah, we're very happy. So very excited about that. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank I you very like much. I feel like you'll be a very like calm, you know, calm bride. You wouldn't be a bride. Yeah, no bridezilla. <laughs> I feel, you know, because I feel like I would be a groomzilla honestly yeah <laughs> yeah so i feel you know i feel like you you will not be a bridezilla which is good oh good well thank you i i take that as a compliment i try to stay calm in uh high pressure situations but... yeah i don't i don't want to put you on the spot but i'm hoping i get an invite to the wedding oh for sure yeah i uh, yeah. got a lot of <laughs> now it's recorded yeah, no yeah, take backs. Exactly. I'll be like, can you go back to episode 20 on Mixofarbosarcomas <laughs> when you said I was invited to your wedding? Please. Thank you. Right. Right. <laughs> what about you? How are things in Mississippi? Uh things are great. Things are things are things are going very well. Yeah, I think uh I think definitely loving it and getting used to living down here. You know, we still have our little water issue occasionally in Jackson. Like I still don't drink the water in Jackson, but um, it's definitely a good place to live and has been uh, been so yeah. far. Are you going to the Ole Miss football games? How exciting oh, are those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, I think I just um I just went to an Ole Miss game uh and uh it was it was actually surprisingly cold uh this last couple of weeks in, in uh Mississippi uh for the game, but always an amazing experience. Um, you know, going to an SEC game. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very excited because I'm also going to uh, sticking with the football team. Uh, the New York Giants are playing the Cowboys, and that's I'm a big Giants fan, so I'm going down to the game. It's only a short drive from Jackson. so Awesome. That'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Excellent. All right, well, let's get to the episode. I think, uh, yeah. yeah, enough. I, I could uh, talk forever about everything that's going on. Next time we'll get to talk about uh, getting to see each other in person again for the first time in a while right. at our uh, right. annual Musculoskeletal Tumor Society meeting coming up. So. That is correct. Good. We should take a bunch of uh, pictures and post for the Instagram. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, we do have our website up now, sarcomainsight.com. Please feel free to check it out and support us. Uh, open to any tips on how to make it better. And we are working uh, every day to improve it. Uh, for you and all our listeners. So to today's topic, mixofibrosarcoma, Elise, what is mixofibrosarcoma? So as usual for a lot of the sarcomas that we take care of, the some of the meaning is in the name itself. So this is 
mix of fibrosarcoma, so it has mixoid characteristics and um, as well as characteristics of a fibrous tumor. This is a, a malignant lesion that occurs in the soft tissues, and it's one of the most aggressive soft tissue sarcomas that we take care of. It's very challenging to, to manage from a surgical perspective, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, it's also fairly common in terms of the subtypes of sarcomas that we take care of. Um, and there's a slight male predominance. And then probably one of the most important things to know, and again, we'll go into detail later, is that this has a very high local recurrence rate. And that's just the biology of this tumor. It has a tendency to grow along fascial planes, which are the linings of muscles and compartments in the extremities. And it tends to grow along these fascial linings of the muscle, either superficial or deep to these compartments, and sometimes extends microscopically quite a distance that we can't necessarily see to the naked eye or on imaging as well. So they're very, very challenging to take care of because of how aggressive they are. Yes, and um, I agree to everything you've said, and uh, definitely uh, one of the tumors that causes a lot of angst for uh, sarcoma surgeons um, because of those microscopic extensions that we uh, are not able to detect by our eyes, at least not with the technology we have currently. So um, who would get diagnosed with this? I know you said there's a male predominance or predisposition. Um, is there a particular age group or that would be most likely to get this uh, at all? So this is typically a tumor subtype that we'll see in older patients, um, typically over the age of, of 60 years old. That would be the most common age group in which we would see it. And as you mentioned, males slightly more often than, than females. Going along with some of the basic facts about the tumor, what are some of the locations where you can see this subtype? Thank you for that question. Like most of the sarcomas we deal with, all right, the mixofibrosarcomas occur commonly in the extremities, but they can also occur in the axial area, all right? So the extremities being the limbs, the axial, right, closer to the center of the body. So the chest is somewhere that it could occur uh, as well, um, the back, etc. And when they do occur and present, they will often present as an enlarging mass, and the degree of enlargement varies prior to people noticing it. And I do believe we've spoken about this in previous episodes, the importance of mass when it comes to evaluating and deciphering sarcomas. All right. I believe, did you say golf ball size? Was that how you referenced it? Yeah. Uh, and, and I believe I said not everyone plays golf. <laughs> that sounds familiar. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll play it back later. Yeah, we should play it back. But, you know, I can't say that anymore because I now play golf. So <laughs> not well, but I do play. Uh, and I could I don't know how large a golf ball is. But usually the larger the mass, the more problematic it is locally. All right. But also the more likelihood that it will be uh, more problematic as well for the patient. All right. Along with the size, we've also talked about the depth of the tumor. So I believe you also spoke earlier about it being above or below a fascia. So being more superficial and deep, 
these are also factors that play a role in determining long-term outcomes, prognosis uh, for the patient as well. Yeah, absolutely. And typically this is more commonly in a deep location, but still can be seen in a superficial location as well. I have some very recent examples I can think of of that, but yeah, typically along fascial planes though, which is the important thing to know for this tumor. All right. And for someone who, I guess, were, if I would pick a particular person uh, or individual, it would be a male, older, right, over 60. Not that 60 is that old. 60 is pretty young. With an enlarging mass of the extremity or the axial region, what are you doing for this patient when they come to your office? Of course, if it's of a concerning enough size and location, then there's frequent times where patients will come to our office having had an ultrasound prior. But uh, the best way to get uh, an understanding of the anatomic extent of this mass and its characteristics is to get an MRI with and without contrast if possible. Um, So 3D imaging. And then, of course, if for some reason a patient can't get an MRI, CT would be a substitute. But in general, an MRI is, is the gold standard. What would you uh, see in this MRI of the patient? Because we had talked about myxomas prior in our prior episode and getting images for this in an MRI and seeing more circumscribed lesion, homogenous, either within the muscle, etc. What are you looking for in the MRI uh, to lead to make to lead you towards myxofibrosarcoma as a diagnosis? It's a good question. So. Uh... This shares some of the same fairly nonspecific imaging characteristics on MRI as other soft tissue sarcomas in that it's typically hypo-intense or has a low signal on T1, uh, typically a hyper-intense or of a high signal on T2, and then contrast enhancing. Um, this is typically going to be a little bit more heterogeneous in its appearance than a myxoma and will commonly have these very long tails that you can see, particularly on the fluid-sensitive or contrast-enhanced uh, sequences. This may invade nearby structures as well, and it's a little bit more ill-defined typically than a myxoma for comparison. Uh, there's no way to co- perfectly encompass every tumor type um, with these descriptors, but uh, which is why a lot of times we say that they do have somewhat nonspecific features, um, but this typically has a more aggressive appearance, and that extension is really the the main characteristic that might lead you towards thinking this is uh, high on your differential diagnosis list. Right, definitely, and I think you've described there really what is um, a very problematic tumor, right, invading nearby structures, heterogeneous uh, on. Uh, MRI, um, as well as more specific to the myxofibrosarcoma, are those uh, what we call tails, with our, which are the extensions that can be problematic. As although we can see some of it on MRI, there can be microscopic extensions of it that we are not able to see um, with our eyes that uh, do affect the surgical management of uh, the patients, which we will discuss uh, shortly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and so we've kind of talked about what this tumor subtype looks like on imaging. And then what about under the microscope? What does this look like? 
Oh, yeah. Um, I will gladly talk about the pathology. So we've talked uh, quite a number of times about things being mixoid, right? So this has a mixo, right, in the name. So it's a mixoid lesion. So there will be a mixoid component, all right? Whenever there is a sarcoma, you're going to have what we call pleomorphic cells. So cells that are not all similar. They are very different, misshapen or malformed. They're not as orderly, so they can be very disorganized, all right? And these cells have increased cellular activity, and that is shown by what we call mitoses. And so if you could think back to what grade do you learn about mitoses? Uh, oh, good question. I want to yeah, say like, like maybe six or seven. Cell cycle. Seven, I six say or seven, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, you know. That early? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's it's hard to tell like when we were learning this versus now you can go online and you can learn about the cell cycle when you're five years old. Right. Um, but maybe it was maybe it was later. Maybe it was high school. I'm not sure. Wow man, I hope I didn't wait till the cell cycle to learn this, uh, <laughs> to to high school to learn the cell cycle the first time. But um uh nucleoline and mitosis. And so you have an increase turnover of these cells so these cells are growing at a rapid rate and so we get and we can see this on the pathology slides you can see the cells are actually actively dividing but they're not dividing in a normal pattern and so all these things start to point us towards the tumor itself being something that is more high grade something that is more uh problematic i would say yeah really good description of mitotic figures Thank you. Thank you. And so when we do have a patient, we're concerned for a mixofibrosarcoma. We always want to discuss what our potential differential diagnoses might be for these patients. Some things more benign along that list or something that could be also just as bothersome or problematic. What are some other diagnoses that you would be thinking about um, for a patient with a similar presentation and a mixoid tumor? Um, that's a good question. I, I think in general, any soft tissue sarcoma could be on the differential, but certainly some of the more common ones that will have a similar appearance and location could be a mixoid liposarcoma or extraskeletal mixoid chondrosarcoma. And then some of the other things that can look similar as well are mixoma, which we just talked about in our last episode, um, or a mixolipoma or ossifying fibromyxoid tumor. These are all things that share some similar characteristics on imaging, but uh, it's not not complete, but these are just the highest ones on, on our uh, differential. So once you once you identify a patient, you've done a biopsy. Just, yeah, I, just really quickly, at least before yeah. you do that, I, I really do enjoy when we go over the differential diagnoses. There was a time when we would do the differentials and we haven't covered any of the topics. And I do, I'm very excited as we move along <laughs> in our time at Sarcoma Insight that we are now covering more and more diagnoses. And so if there's a diagnosis that you hear about and differential diagnoses, uh, that would be something that we will be covering uh, eventually. And we are working towards getting uh, as many tumors and sarcomas uh, covered and explained out for all our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So Sorry yeah, no. No, absolutely. We uh, so mixoma we just talked about, and then mixoid liposarcoma would be in our liposarcoma episode. That's one of the subtypes within yeah. that episode. So that, that would be a, the, the way to look for that one. 
a very exciting episode with Dr. Peter Ferguson. I'm hoping yeah, we can get him exactly. back uh, for another episode at some point. Definitely. All right. We'll get back to our our 60, 70-year-old male patient come in, came in with a painless growing mass on his arm, let's say, had a biopsy done at an imaging, says it's a mix of fibrosarcoma. What do you what do you talk to that patient about next in terms of treatment options? All right. So whenever we have a lesion, we always want to look for confirmatory diagnoses. And we get this through uh, sampling the tissue. All right. And so uh, in a setting like this, there will often be a, a biopsy performed uh, either uh, percutaneous uh, if possible. Sometimes if superficial can be performed in the office or, or an open biopsy. And then once this has been confirmed as the diagnosis uh, for all our listeners uh, and our trainees as well, the key for any soft tissue sarcomas is often we anticipate that the patient would be staged. And then once staged, uh, we'll require treatment. Uh, we'll, I'll do the treatment first and then the staging. And so the treatment in this case would be a combination of radiation locally to the site and then surgery. The order of this is dependent on many different factors as well as surgeon preference. There is uh, increased risk of wound complications uh, when the radiation is performed preoperatively uh, versus a risk um, more of a risk of uh, stiffness and um, uh, deficiencies to particular limbs or areas if the radiation is performed postoperatively. And this is because you have to radiate a larger area. You know, I do believe we'll, we have a, a radiologist in our future, uh, one of our future episodes who will definitely shed some light on this and talk more about it. Uh, but uh, do you have a preference, uh, Elise? In terms of radiation before or after surgery? Yes. Yeah, I'd say in general, my institution and my training, majority of patients will undergo radiation prior to surgery. Um, and I would say the main main reasoning for that is that lower dose and smaller um, field of radiation. But there are there may be select circumstances in which a postoperative radiation would be preferred, but I'd say a majority of the time we do preoperative radiation. How about yourself? Agreed. Uh, same. Uh, pretty much um, preoperative radiation. That's primarily how I trained. That's what I would go with for soft tissue tumors. There would be rare circumstances where um, it, that order might be switched, but generally I would anticipate uh, preoperative radiation for treatment. Um, in terms of the staging, I think always important when there is a sarcoma and there's concern for a sarcoma that we evaluate from a test that metastatic disease and metastases uh, can occur with sarcoma specifically to the lungs is will really will be the main concern for all sarcomas. And so as part of the staging process for the patient will be a CT scan of the chest. Uh, and that would let us know if there are any lesions uh, that are elsewhere uh, in a body, a, met uh, a metastatic foci from the primary site that's being treated. Very well stated. I couldn't have said it better myself. Absolutely. Yeah. So staging is definitely an important part. Um, what makes a sarcoma a cancer is that potential for it to spread to other sites. And hopefully some of our listeners have caught on by now that sarcomas in general, the site 
that is most likely to um, have a metastasis is the lung. So that in general is what we are looking at on our staging imaging, though there are other sites they can spread to and for particular tumor subtypes. So this is not, not one that has unusual metastases, at least on a routine basis. So Right. Focus on the lungs. Um, what are some prognostic factors? What are some things about this tumor uh, that can affect how a patient does when they have it? Really good question. And I'm sure one that, you know, a lot of our patients ask when they come in with this diagnosis as well is, what does this mean long-term for me? And what can you tell me about what this means um, and what some of the prognostic factors are? And so you alluded to some of these earlier, uh, the depth of the tumor invasion is certainly one of the things that can be a prognostic factor. So whether this is deep versus superficial, uh, other things are the size of the tumor. So if it's larger than five centimeters versus smaller than five centimeters, there's a poor prognosis with the larger tumors. Um, and then the location is another important prognostic factor. So tumors that are located closer to the central portion of the body, like the trunk, um, so more proximal, those are, are tumors that would generally have a poor prognosis. And then, of course, the grade as well and other histologic features. So uh, more active or higher grade tumors are going to have a poor prognosis. A lot of these are pretty consistent with what we see for other tumors as well. So in general, deeper, bigger, closer to the midline or the um, center of the body and higher grade, those are generally some of the factors that have a poor prognosis with this tumor subtype. Before I sort of ask the next question, uh, Elise, I, I wanted to um, bring something back regarding this tumor. Uh, we talked about mixofibrosarcoma having these microscopic extensions that make it very difficult um, to really gauge the extent of tumor uh, extension when you're performing surgery. Are there any uh, things that people would do uh, generally to try to guarantee a negative margin on a resection um, or or uh, stage this process uh, that you would like to share with us? No, and that's a really good question. I think that's part of what you brought up as um, a reason for some of the the angst as you put it with surgeons um, taking care of these these tumor subtypes. And of course, for the, the patients as well, some anxiety around that. But because they have these microscopic tails that can be at a distance from the primary tumor site that's either palpable or that we can see on imaging, um, unfortunately, compared to other soft tissue sarcomas, this has a much higher risk of both positive margins at the time of surgery and also uh, of local recurrence down the road. And so one of the strategies that I would say some institutions or surgeons may employ in order to try to address that or respond to that is potentially performing surgery in a staged fashion, if a, especially if coverage is going to be required from a plastic surgeon if this involves resection of the skin. But even if it's deep as well, it may be considered. What, what that means essentially is removing the tumor, leaving a device on 
the tumor bed called a wound vac where there's a sponge and then a sticky plastic dressing that goes over the sponge that maintains a constant uh, negative pressure environment while we're awaiting those final margins and preparing for closure of the wound again either with or without plastics um, so we we plan that in a staged fashion where we have that final information so that if there is a positive margin on that final evaluation by our pathology colleagues, then there's still that opportunity prior to wound closure to address that by taking more tissue in that area. Uh, of course, that can be that, that's challenging, but it's much easier to do in a setting when um, you haven't closed the wound yet, um, rather than having to reopen the area and potentially try to redress that area where there's a positive margin. And, and again, especially in the case where there's been, for example, a free flap, so tissue that's been borrowed and transferred from one part of the body to that area in order to close the wound. Correct. And so if uh, what you're saying is if a patient was planned to have a definitive coverage, right? So what we call a flap may be harvested from another part of the body you would want to guarantee that there was a negative margin before you put that flap down. Is that correct? You would not want to put a flap down when you are concerned about a potential positive margin, which would be the concern in like in a mixofibrosarcoma. Exactly. Yeah. I'd say that's a more simply <laughs> stated version of what I, of what I was uh, getting at, but um, yeah, essentially it without closing the wound, in whatever fashion that may be, you're essentially putting this temporary wound closure, sterile environment with a vacuum sealed device or dressing while you're awaiting those final margins so that you have that opportunity, just because we know it happens much more commonly than we'd like, you know, you know, in the literature, potentially as high as, you know, up to 15 or 20% of the time, you can have microscopic or grossly positive margins, but that's just because of the biology of this tumor type. And so I think that's, that's an important consideration that you know, some institutions are doing. You yeah. don't have to, we don't, we don't have a way to say that that's, uh, you need to do that hundred percent right. of the time. And I know yeah. we always drop with the same closing statement that people, of course, and people do this differently. And other things that that are considered uh, in settings like this are are trying to, and you know, surgeons try this will be to have a wider resection margin that we typically would for sarcomas, soft tissue sarcomas, when possible, Definitely. as well as considering another dose of radiation postoperatively, which would be called a boost postop as well. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and that's something that I you know, personally will counsel patients about with this particular tumor subtype just to prepare them um, for that potential instance of a positive margin mm -hmm. and local recurrence as well, because those are both things that happen, unfortunately, much more commonly than any of us would like. And yeah. it's probably frankly, most likely related to the biology of the tumor more than anything else. But yeah, definitely something that you would like to know going into all of this for sure. Um, and so in terms of post-operative management and surveillance, what uh, is your usual approach to this? Um, are you trying to locally image the site? Is it primarily based on 
the patient? Um, what is your uh, process? Yeah, um, good question. So I'd say in general, we put these soft tissue sarcomas into high risk or low risk categories. And this would generally be in the high risk uh, tumor category. And therefore we would image on a more frequent basis. So every three to four months for the first two to three years. And then if the, that imaging was um, reassuring, then we'd be able to space it out to every six months until five years after, and then annually uh, until at least 10 years after surgery. But I, I would, I would uh, certainly because of that high risk of vocal recurrence, I think it would be pretty rare to do just an exam alone. I would, I would typically do an MRI of the site um, as well as uh, a CT of the chest or chest X-ray. That's something that we're still, I think, working on trying to figure out what the right way to right pathway is for our patients. I know there's some yeah. active studies out there looking at that as well. Yeah, I'm 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 definitely in agreement with everything you said. Um uh and I usually tell all my patients with a sarcoma diagnosis that um that we we're going to get to know each other for and we'll be seeing each other for at least ten years. All right. Um so uh this brings us to the finale part of our episode. All right, and we usually like to give some salient points. Um so um, I would, I'll take one. I think we've talked about this, the myxofibrosarcomas, they have a character, you know, they have these characteristic tails on MRI, which are the, um, I guess, macroscopic extensions, but also signal of the extensions that occur, uh, that can occur microscopically as well. And but we can see the extensions along the fascial planes on the MRIs and we call them tails. Any point for you, Elise? Yeah, and I think we've hit this kind of the whole time multiple times, but in any case, just to restate it one more time, mixofibrosarcomas are a subtype that are particularly aggressive and so have a very high risk of local recurrence, meaning the tumor coming back in the same spot and positive margins at the time of surgery, which could be either gross positive margins, meaning where the pathologist can tell just when they're slicing the, through the specimen, or even or microscopic margins also, um, where you can't see it to the naked eye, but does show up on the microscope, where it's at the extent of where that piece of tissue was was cut out. And then I, I think the last point is just that mixofibrosarcoma, similar to a majority of soft tissue sarcomas that we take care of, is the staging is with a chest CT. Um, and the surgical treatment or the treatment in general, I should say, involves both surgery and radiation, which could be done before or after. And there's some regional preferences for that. Right. Thank you, Elise. And with that, we'd like to say that it's important to note that every patient's case is unique and treatment for each diagnosis is dependent on a discussion with your team of physicians. If you would like the more, if you would like more information, please feel free to check out the links in the episode description. Uh, and if you enjoyed listening, please feel free to hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And you can now visit our website at sarcomainsight.com. Thank you all very much for listening. And our next episode will be about metastatic bone disease as we take a switch from sarcomas to carcinoma.
only a brief switch. Yes. What an important one. Yes. The, the podcast title is Sarcoma Insight. But yes, as a, a orthopedic oncologist, I'd say this does take up a pretty large part of our practice uh, uh, many times. So Excellent. very important topic to discuss. And we're yeah. looking forward to updating everyone on uh, how our conference uh, in Florida was when we returned. Sarcoma Insight.